We are in a series called Made and Crafted from the letter of Ephesians to the, the churches around uh, Asia Minor. Uh, the letter is about the church. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and one will be, will be given to you. Um, or you can turn your device there or whatever. Um, this is about how God, this book, this letter is about how God is crafting and designing with intention a community of people to be the fullness of God in a particular place. And we get to Ephesians 3, and um, I'm just going to focus in on verses 14 through 21. And it's a prayer. This is Paul's second prayer in the letter to the Ephesians, the second time we've come to a prayer of his. And it almost seems silly. I, seem, I feel really foolish teaching this prayer. I'd just rather do this prayer. And I hope to do this at the end, to pray this for you, for us to pray it for each other, for you to pray it for me, that we would pray this for each other, this prayer. But I want to walk through a little bit of what this prayer means um, with very insufficient words. So uh, follow along with me. Verses 14 through 21, Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's prayer. He says this, and then I'll pray for us. Uh, Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Oh my gosh. Let me, uh, let me pray for us for illumination. Lord, I, I confess to you how silly it feels just to even talk or teach or try to explain through this prayer. It is one that I think is captured best as we pray it. And so I pray that you would move our hearts to want to pray this prayer. Whether we are, this is the very first time we've ever darkened the door of a church. <clears throat> or we've been here, we've been at church, we've not missed a Sunday since like the late 80s or whatever. Like wherever we are right now, I pray that we would want this for our lives. We would want this experience of you, God. And Lord, I know um, since, the, since the beginning, Lord, uh, in this, this, uh, this church that you've been so, so kind to be with us in profound ways, in experiential ways, and where a lot of times we will gather and then leave, and as we leave, we say, God was there. Like, that's all I can say, like, God was there. And we don't take that for granted, and we pray that that would happen again now as we gather, as we study and as we sing and respond and receive communion and kneel before the Father. As we do all these things, Lord, I pray that we would experience you. You be with us, Lord. Change us now. Would you give me words right now in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. For those of us who have um, been a Christian a while, um, it becomes easy to think we've pretty much exhausted all the possibilities of the Christian life. Many of us have found a church. 
We have our community group. We have our circle of friends. We maybe even gotten like married in the last few years, which is probably like the prayer request that, that like filled your inbox, your, your prayer request inbox for like eight years or 20 years or whatever. And you're finally happy and you're like, oh, and you kind of like settle in. You know, you kind of settle in. And it's not that, not that your life is easy by any means, but if you've been a Christian a while, we kind of, our, our life with God just becomes a bit of a routine. Like we know where we show up on Sundays, we know community group, we have our circle of friends. But what if our lives with God, even though we've been walking with God for a while, what if our, our lives with God is like, um, like if you dipped one of those small espresso cups into the vast ocean that is the living God and you hold up this tiny little espresso cup with your hand and your pinky out and whatever and you say, this is God. Like this is God. What if it's like that? What if you've just not even, maybe you have just the tiniest sip of the ocean that is God. And we kind of settle in a routine. We're like, no, I, I think I have, I think I know how God works. I know that if I, if I like keep sin down and keep like prayer life up, like poof, it's, I'm killing it. If it gets out of whack, like I know what God does. Like I, I kind of have God figure, I know what he does. I know how he responds. I know church, I know people, all that stuff. What if it's more? What if there was more for us? What if there was more for us to lay hold of? See, what this prayer does is reveal to us that God is so vast and our exposure is so small to God. God is so big and our exposure to God is really, really small. What we have before us in this text is Paul's prayer to expand our vision of what life in Christ is all about. See, we, you might have come to know Christ um, recently or maybe you're, you're coming to know Christ or maybe a very, very long time ago. And we have an experience of what Christ is like who God is, what the Christian life is about, what Christian experience is, and what Paul prays is that that would be expanded. That would be expanded beyond what you can even ask or even imagine. Like that would be so expanded. And some of us don't want to think like that because, um, because we think we have God figured out. And so when we start expanding that, God might do things that we don't understand. But this is the invitation for us. This is the invitation to the, into a real Christian experience. So if you are here and you are new, maybe first time you've been to this church or a church and you're looking into what Christianity is about, this prayer captures the hope of the Christian experience. This is what, like at the heart of Christianity, this is the hope of what we would experience as we follow Jesus. And Paul prays for three things. And they're laid out actually pretty neatly um, by that clauses. Okay, they're that clauses. So he says, I pray that, I pray that, I pray that. He says that three times. And this, is, this, this, this uh, prayer is really broken up in, in really clean, three clean ways. He prays that you are strengthened by the Spirit's power. I pray that you grasp Christ's love. And I pray that you are filled with the fullness of God. Those are the three things he prays for. I just want to look at these three things this morning. Now, I'll, I'll briefly try to explain some of these, but... I, like I said at the very beginning, I feel almost silly or foolish doing so because it's almost no use. You don't, we don't really understand this unless we start doing this. We don't understand it unless we start praying this. I need you to pray this for me. I want to pray this for you. We should pray this for each other. So I want to get out of the way. I just want to say a few things, get out of the way and allow us to do this in our time of response. If you are new here, we spend a bulk of time afterwards, after the sermon and responding. Um, we kind of technically feel like church is still going during that time. Just saying, just so you know. Te te technically, church is not over yet during that time. 
And so we expand it just to like sit and respond and pray in the things that we're learning. And that's what we hope to do today. So first, this is what Paul prays. He prays that you are strengthened by the Spirit's power. Look at verses 16 and 17. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So the prayer is that you would be strengthened through the power of the Spirit. Notice that the power is not your power, it's the Spirit's power. So he prays that you would have a power that you don't have inside of you. That you would have a power that, that the source is not from you. That it would come to you, inside of you, from the living God. This should, first of all, it should take some pressure off. You don't have to come up with all the power of the Christian life. You don't have to come up with all the power to make the Christian life go well for you. The power doesn't come from you. The power comes from the Spirit. So first, for all of you overachievers, relax a little bit. Just relax, okay? Ha have this um, uh, gentleness of heart. Just give yourself a little bit of breathing room. The Spirit's power is where the power comes from. Meaning, you don't muster up this power. You don't conjure up the power of God. The power comes from the Spirit. There's this famous Old Testament passage given as an encouragement to Zerubbabel, who was the high priest of Israel, during a time when Zerubbabel was, was given the impossible task to rebuild the temple. Impossible task. No one was happy. People who saw the temple before uh, this temple was destroyed were like, oh, it's not like the old temple. People that saw it was new was like, it's not what we thought it was going to be. Like, it was, it was horrible for him. Horrible. And this is what the, this, is what, this is the word that came to Zerubbabel. In front of this impossible task before him, the Lord said this. Not by might, nor by power. Not by human might, not by human power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. How will this happen? How will this impossible thing before Zerubbabel happen? Well, Zerubbabel, it won't happen by your might, and it will not happen by your power. It will happen by the spirit's power. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. This is what Paul is saying. See, prayer is meant to do two things for us at the same time. Remember, this is a prayer. This is a prayer that Paul prays. And prayer is supposed to do two things at the same time. Prayer is meant to connect us to divine energy. And at the same time, even as it does that, it makes us aware that the energy is not from us. This is, this, this is what prayer means. Prayer connects us to this divine energy. Paul calls it the power of the spirit. And then at the same time, when we get this divine energy, we are very aware that this energy does not come from us. It's, it comes from outside of us. And it comes into our lives by the spirit's power. This is what authentic prayer accomplishes. Because in effect, prayers like, prayers like this fill us with divine energy. And tell us that at the same time, this energy is not our own. That it works through us, but it, it is not us. It is from God. It's the Spirit's power. See, deep and genuine prayer is supposed to energize us and ground us at the same time. It's to energize us to lift up our inner person or inner being or heart, as Paul says. Our inner person should be lifted up, but it should ground us at the same time. It should, we, we should say, I'm strengthened by the power of, uh, of the Spirit in my inner being. That's energy. We should feel this life source in us when we pray. But at the same time, the prayer should, should ground us going, this is not my power. This is the Spirit's power. This is the Spirit's power at work in me. So it grounds us and it makes us deeply dependent 
on God at the same time. So it gives us energy and it grounds us. We need both of those things. And notice the corollary between the Spirit's power working in us and Christ dwelling in our hearts. He makes his corollary. He's like, I want you, he says, I want you to, to have the, 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 the power of the Spirit in you. I want you, I want you to be strengthened by the power of the Spirit through, through your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So there's this connection. And the meaning is this. The feeling of strengthening power that the Spirit gives. That feeling. I don't know if you've ever, um, I, know, I know you, I, I would imagine you have. You've you spent time praying. And you feel this power like raise up into your, like your gut, your soul. And you feel this going all the way, like burning up, up your, like the good form of heartburn. I, I don't know, like, like it comes <laughs> up through your gut, into, like into your mind. Like it expands everything. That thing that happens. What Paul is saying is that, that power of, of the Spirit strengthening you is actually Christ taking up more residence in your heart. That's what's really happening. So when you're feeling like, oh my gosh, I feel like the Spirit's power, Paul would say here, you have power here and, uh, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What, what, what's happening in that time is that, that Christ is actually taking up more residence, more actual physical space in your life. He's taking over parts, rooms of your life, so to speak. He's taking up more and more and more of your life. And that's what it is. So, so what this means is that when you're, you and I are praying, we're not praying for an electric jolt that we get during, during a chord change in a worship song. You know, like when that happens, like, oh my gosh, what is that? Like, that's not what we're going after. Though that's awesome. <laughs> awesome. Okay. What we're, what we're really looking for is when that happens, we're, we, we, we acknowledge that the Spirit's work is actually Christ dwelling in us more. He has more of our lives. Maybe we surrender more. Maybe we see things clearly that we never saw clearly before. Maybe we have all these questions and we don't necessarily get answers to our questions. We just know that it's going to be okay. And even not knowing the answers, it's going to be okay. And we get this. This is Christ taking up more and more room in our lives, taking more and more residence up in our lives. And just so that we know that there is no limit to this in our lives. Paul says, and it doesn't matter what you how, how long you've been a Christian or no matter how many, time, how many times you've failed as a Christian or what you've gone through, Paul says that he wants, he wants you to have this according to his glorious riches, meaning um, the, 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 way, the, the way, how rich God is, that's how much he wants to pour into you. How, is, how rich is God? He's infinitely wealthy. And it would it'd be out of God's wealth that he would give you these things. The second thing Paul prays is this. He says, and I want to pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp. I want you to have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And I pray that you know the love that surpasses knowledge. Now this is, I, I don't even know what to do with this verse. This is insane. Like he wants you to have power so that you would be able to grasp the limitless amount of God's love for you. And that you would know something that you can't know. So, I, yeah, I'm trying to teach on this right now. So, so, this is, so this is what he says. He says he wants you as someone who's secure and rooted in, in God's love. Like reinforced. Like think of um, um, if you've ever uh, apartment 
hunted or even house hunted in San Francisco, you know, rule number one is always look at the foundation of any house. Is it reinforced? Because there are these things called earthquakes in San Francisco. And does it have a reinforced foundation? What foundation does it have? What Paul's saying here is that you, your foundation would be rooted in God's love. Like established there, fixed, secure there. That you being in God's love would have power with the church to grasp, again, Notice that we need power of God to grasp this. We need, to, we need the power of God. And this word grasp is like a, a, a grappling word. It's a wrestling word. But it's not talking about wrestling with God. It means that we, what, what we would do is we would use the energy of God to understand the love of God. So we would not try to find it ourselves. We would use the energy of God. Meaning as we pray, that, 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 that like energy it takes to pray... And the energy that happens when we pray, we would use that to know the love of God. We would grasp, would grapple with it. Um, this prayer assumes that the Christian life is not automatic. This assumes that you actually have to do the work of prayer. This knowledge and experience comes from God, but we have to reach out and we have to grasp it. So, let me give you an example. Um, I'm, I close, let's say, I close in prayer right here, but not yet, but almost. Um, I close in prayer, and then we're done, and then you're done. I don't think you've grasped it. I don't even think you reached for it. I think it's there before you, and you kind of go, oh, uh, maybe tomorrow I'll reach for that. Uh, maybe, maybe it's next Sunday. I have more time. It's Easter. I'll, re- I'll have to do it then, right, because it's Easter. Like, w- what this is asking of us is that as, as the, the, the life of God is before us, that you and I would reach out and actually engage with it. We would pray to God. We would engage with God because God is relational. And relationships require time and investment. Both physical and emotional energy needs to go into this. So this is, this is true of the Christian experience. If we want to experience God, we actually have to like, reach out and grasp it. And Paul prays that we do. And what are we supposed to grasp? Well, we're supposed to grasp the width, the length, the height, the depth of the love of Christ. Paul adds, and I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now, this is insane. Paul is saying, I want you to grasp, I want you to know, I want you to experience what is wider than wide and longer than long and higher than high and deeper than deep. And what is that? The love of Christ. Now, we all know that love is full of emotion. Our, 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 our feelings of love are full of emotion and feeling and passion and that's true of Christ's love towards us as well. It's not less than that, but it's a lot more than that. Christ's love for us is a decision. It's a choice. It's like it's part of who God is. So God is not caught up in the fantasy of you. You know, we can kind of love each other and we can love this fantasy self of the other person. Like, I love this. You're this and this. And I see you like two hours a week. So I really love you. But the more time I spend with you, I don't know if I love you as much anymore. Like all that stuff. And we have the fantasy of people. And the more we spend time with them, we're like, I love you. which is different now. Like, he, God knows what loving you involves. God knows what it costs to love you. He knows everything about you, the real you, all your mistakes, what you think, what you feel, and he loves you anyway. With that love, Paul says, I want you to know that that, that, that like real, tactile, um, tangible love 
is real. And I want you to know it. I want you to know how wide is it, it is. How wide is it? Ephesians 2.13, Paul says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It doesn't matter how, who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter how far away from Christ you are. No matter how far you've run from Christ. No matter how many times you've ran from Christ. The love of Christ is infinitely wide. Wide enough to go out, get you, and bring you back. That's how wide. Infinitely wide. There is nowhere you can go where his hand does not reach you and love you. There is no way. Nowhere. It's that wide. How long is the love of Christ? Jude, 20, Jude 24, towards the end of the New Testament, says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Philippians 1.6, Paul says, Being confident of this, that he who began a work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. How long is the love of Christ? He will love you as long as you live. As long as you live. And he will, and it's infinitely long, he will bring you your life to completion. He will take your life and he will finish the work that he began in you. He will take you all the way through life in every valley, every, every mountain, everything that you've gone through. He is faithful to walk with you. I mean, this is like footprints in the sand, but I'm not even going to go there. Okay? <laughs> this, is, this is that sort of thing. It's that long. How high is the love of Christ? Ephesians 2, 5 through 6 says, It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. How high is the love of Christ? Not only does Christ's love go, brings us out from afar, but he brings us in and he lifts us up to the highest place ever. Seated at the right hand of God. We're in Christ Seated in the heavenly realms. His love takes us and lifts us to the highest places. How deep is it? Well, as we move into Holy Week, I personally start off Holy Week thinking about Christmas. I do this every year. Think about the Advent. I think about Christ coming as an infant. And what Christ did in the, the Advent that eventually led him to choose to become a baby... And then, like an infant, and then a toddler, and then a teenager. And then, you know, I would love to know the idealism that filled Jesus' head when he was in his 20s. And, and, and into his 30s. And what drove him to give his life as a ransom for many at the age of 33? I think about this every Holy Week. And I'm reminded of one of my favorite passages from one of my favorite authors, Frederick Buechner. And Frederick Buechner says that once we've seen the infant Jesus in a stable, once you've pondered that thought, once you think back a few months ago to on Christmas time, and you see in your mind's eye the infant Jesus in a manger, he says, we can never be sure where Christ will appear or what lengths he will go to, or what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of humankind. Just think about that. The depths of the love of God. He became a baby. A vulnerable, helpless baby in a manger. There is nowhere he will not go 
to pursue humanity. If holiness and the awful power and majesty of God were present in his birth, the birth of, this, uh, of a peasant's child, then there is no place or time so lowly and earthbound, but that the holiness can be present there too. Then he says this. Frederick Buechner says, and this means that we are never safe. That there is no place where we can hide from God. No place where we are safe from his power to break into and recreate the human heart. Because it is just where he seems most helpless that he is most strong. And it's just where we least expect him that he comes most fully. For those who believe in God, it means this birth, that God himself is never safe from us. And maybe that is the dark side of Christmas. The terror of the silence. He comes in such a way that we can always turn him down. We could crack the baby's skull like an eggshell or nail him up when he gets too big for that. The infinite depth of the love of Christ brought him to condescending depths of becoming vulnerable as an infant, so vulnerable that you can, you can have cracked his skull with your hands. And then when he got too big for that, we could hang him on a cross. And this love is not abstract. This is not the pithy statements we tell each other in yoga class or soul cycle. This is like real love. This is really real blood, sweat, and tears, real love. This is not abstract love. This is not like God loves the world. This is not abstract. This is real. He really came and really died and rose again. And Paul says, I hope, I hope that you come to know the, the height of that love and the depth of that love and how long it is and how wide it is. I hope, I pray that you would come to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you can't, once you get it in your head, you try to write it down and does, it goes away. You can't, you just, you can't know it. You can just know it. You, you can only experience it. That's it. I can tell you about it, but you have to experience it. I can tell you how, how sweet something tastes and you can know it because I told it to you, or you can taste it. And Paul says, I pray that you would taste it. I pray that you would really know it. You would really know it. Lastly, Paul prays this. I pray that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I don't even know what to do with this one. I didn't know what to do with the last one, but I don't know what to do. Look at, I pray that you would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I pray that you would have all the fullness of God in you, that you would be filled up with the fullness of God. After studying, I still can't get my head around it. It's way too big for me. This is way too big. Um, this third request stretches our imaginations. It's, it seems absolutely ludicrous. How could we... Mortal, limited human beings ever be filled to the measure of God's own fullness. That is silly. That seems impossible. The seemingly impossibility of this intersection is part of the point. You're supposed to read this and go, that's impossible. You're supposed to hear this prayer and Paul's like, I pray that you would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And you're supposed to say, that is impossible to happen. That can't ha I cannot be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. I cannot be full of, of all of God. I just, there's no way. And then you're supposed to think that that is impossible because it prepares you for the doxology. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. You see what that does? 
You're like, that's impossible. There's no way that I could be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more than you can ask or even imagine. This is supposed to do that to us. We're supposed to see the absurdity of that prayer. I, I, I mean, I've never, I don't think I've prayed that for people. I want to start praying it. I'll pray it for you today. Like, I want to pray it for each other. Like, God, would you fill them to, 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 to the measure of the fullness of God? I'm like, what is that even, what will happen to me at work tomorrow if I show up with that? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know yet. We'll see. And you think that's impossible. But God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. The literal rendering of this Greek is something like, to do beyond everything quite exceedingly beyond measure. See, we cannot ask for more than God can do. You can't go, God, I want you to do this. And God goes, oh, that's like outside. I can't do that. You, you can't ask for more than God can do. We cannot even imagine the things that God can do. There is no limit to what God can do. Do you, I mean, do you believe that? Yes. I, a few of you believe that. <laughs> like, Three of you, I, I, like this is as we go into Holy Week, as we're praying for our friends and our neighbors in our city, as we're praying that we as a, as a community, uh, along with all God's people in San Francisco and all these other churches, like as we pray that people would come to know the power and the love of Christ, God is able to do more than you can ask or imagine. Like he's able to do that. He's able to change hearts, to save people. Like he, he's able to bring about revival in our, in our city, in our generation. He's able to do that. I'm not able to do that. This church is not able to do that. God is able to do that. And he can do more than that. He can do way more than that. There is no limit to what God can do. The doxology is expansive because it enlarges our vision of what God can actually do through us. What can he do through us? More than you think. More than you can imagine, this is what God can do. Now, I'll, I'll get a little bit personal here as we, as we close. The last few weeks personally have been very hard for me, on, very hard for me emotionally, very hard for my, and I, I'll be, I'll, in, 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 in vulnerability and confession, I will say that my prayer life has been trending down the last few weeks, to be honest. And, I, and I'm sad to confess that, and it's true. And with that has come a lot of discouragement, a lot of dark places mentally, feeling like mentally stricken. Um, and it's not that I'm having a crisis of faith. I think I'm having what mystics would call a crisis of imagination. I can't imagine how God will get me through this. This is what I'm thinking. God, how will you get through me through this? I can't imagine a way through it or out of it. I can't imagine seeing the other side. Have you ever been there? Like I can't imagine I can't imagine a way through this. I can't imagine how I'm going to make it. I can't imagine this. And it's not that you're having a crisis of faith. You don't believe God can do it. You just can't even imagine what it looks like. And you're having what mystics would call a crisis of imagination. You just, you, you haven't been imaginative of what God can do. And, and as a cautionary tale, I would tell you that I'm, I'm there in bursts of prayer over the last week. Prayer, only prayer, only in this pocket of prayer, only there. Will I imagine the impossible? And it like does something. There is a corollary, I will tell you, as cautionary tell, there's a corollary between a lack of prayer and a crisis of imagination. But when, when we start praying, 
when we start praying for each other, when we start praying for, for ourselves, like, and, and getting ourselves wrapped up into God in prayer, we, that Christ of imagination goes away and we're like, if I can imagine it, God can do more than that. If I can imagine this, God can do more than that. And so, because we pray this prayer, our imagination goes wild on what God can do. We get to a place where we're like, he can do, I could imagine it, and there's something in my spirit that bears witness to it, and then he can do more than that. And through the power of the spirit, we know, we know, we know God is able to do more than what we ask and more than what we even imagine. So I want to end where this text begins. He says, I kneel before the Father. There's something that we do as a community every single week, if you have bad knees or not, is that we take a posture of kneeling. And I love hearing stories of people who, who might outside of these walls be deemed in the eyes of the city very important. And those outside of these walls that our city and society would deem not as important are all kneeling together. This posture of kneeling is this physical act of bowing is an act of reverence. It's also an act of voluntary defenselessness. It's when you place yourself before God and say, I am defenseless before you. I, I another way of saying it is surrender before you. While on our knees, we can't run away. You can't run when you're on your knees. You can't assert yourself when you're on your knees. When you place yourself in a, a, uh, in a kneeling position, you place yourself in a willed submission, vulnerable to the will of the person before whom you are bowing. And this is, this is how Paul prays this prayer as he kneels. He kneels and says, this is how I'm praying for you as I kneel. And so what I would like to do as we respond to God is do that together as a church. I mean, um, there, there are a few squares of comfort in carpets here. And then outside the comfort zone, it's, those are the people that are really taking up their cross, you know. <laughs> that's hardwood. Um, but to take a posture of kneeling, if you've not done it before, if you thought like, I, I, it, it, there is something, as Julie was saying at the very beginning, where prayers that we make with our bodies, and as we kneel, I want to, I want to pray this prayer for, for us. Like, I want, to pray, I want to pray this prayer for me. I want to pray this prayer for you. I want you to come forward and, like, just pray this, like, pray this prayer. Also, I also want you, I want to invite you to pray this prayer for each other. So the Spirit of God might compel you to go and pray this for other people around you. And I would encourage you not to be weirded out by that feeling or that or sensing that and I would I would encourage you to take courage in that and go and do it you might someone see someone across the room or whatever or even kneeling and you might want to go and place your hand on their shoulder and just say I want to pray this prayer over you that you would know the love of God I want to pray that simply if you want to voluntarily come forward and ask someone to pray that for you. Our prayer teams know that this is what's happening and they would love to pray this over you. They love to lay their hands on your shoulder and pray that you would have power together with all this church to know 
how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I want to pray that for you. So those three things, there's going to be a lot of movement in the next few minutes. And as we move around, um, let's do it with humility. Let's do it just asking the spirit of God to empower us, to strengthen us. There's a lot of us in here that have come in very weary, like really, really tired and weary. And you need strength and that strength will not come from yourself. It won't come from like a juice cleanse or whatever. It comes from the spirit. That's it. That's it. That's, that's, that's it. And there's no other way it comes. I promise you it doesn't. By the Spirit's power. Let's seek that now. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray. I pray for our church that by the power of your Spirit that you would strengthen us, God. We need your strength. All of us here, we show up, um, a lot of us young and having, having strength in, our, in our, like our bodies, but we're weak. Like we're physically tired. Some of us in here have like intellectual strength because we've, we've used our brain to all, in all of its capacities, but we know our limits. We're spiritually weak. We want to be strong going into to Holy Week, we want all these like, we want to be like, this, uh, like a spiritual feeling spiritually connected to you, but we feel so disconnected. So we ask together for the strength that comes from the Spirit's power in us. Strengthen us. May Christ dwell in our hearts through faith now. Jesus, may you take up more residence in our hearts, more residence in the life of this church. More of you, less of us, as John the Baptist prayed and said, may you increase and may we decrease. I pray, God, that we would come to know as a church how long and high and wide and deep is the love of Christ. That we would know the love that is beyond knowing. And I pray that we be filled with all the fullness, the full measure of God. Now to him who is able to do way more than we can ever ask or imagine. To him be glory in this church and forever, ever. In Christ's name, amen.